This podcast and its content are designed and intended to provide a place for conversation. Topics and advice covered in this podcast should not be taken as professional medical advice or emotional or spiritual counsel. If you or a loved one need professional help, they should seek a licensed professional. The views covered and discussed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of WCSG Radio or Cornerstone University. Ideas presented are not necessarily endorsed by WCSG Radio or Cornerstone University. Welcome to Through Rough Waters, a biblically-based mental health podcast presented by WCSG and supported by West Michigan Wellness Group. I'm your host, Zach Allen, and joining me is my co-host, Kevin DeCam. Kevin, how are you today? Great, Zach. And also joining us this episode, like they were last episode from West Michigan Wellness Group, are Linda Song. Hi, Zach. And Caleb Jones. How's it going, Zach? Good. So this episode is a continuation of that conversation we started last time about anxiety. If you're listening to this and you're like, what are these guys talking about? Pause this episode right now. Go back and listen to episode three. Caleb and Linda will introduce themselves a little bit more, tell some of their story, and now listen to that important conversation about anxiety in the youngest of our students. Today, we're going to shift our focus slightly to older children and what anxiety looks like as kids approach adolescence and go through that middle school phase of life. Now, I want to take a look at a few more passages of scripture as we jump back in. The first one, Zephaniah 3, verse 17, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And from Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I want to focus on that word with as we reflect on these scriptures. When kids move into this season of life, it becomes so easy to feel alone and isolated. Your peers might be growing up at maturing different paces than you. You start to deal with all that fun hormone stuff and everything that that brings. A lot of times you can feel like you're the only one who fill in the blank. God's given us some great promises about being with us always. So let's unpack this scripture a little bit. Yeah, I think you make a great point, Zach. Um, when talking about how easy it can be to feel isolated or alone at this age, I think back to when I was in middle school slash young adolescence, and there was often this feeling of no one knows what I'm going through or no one understands what this feels like, whether it was coming back from summer break to, to meeting new teachers or peers or joining a new sports team or after school activity, or even just trying to figure out how I fit in with my peers. There was this somewhat constant feeling of not being in control of my situation, my circumstances. And there was this feeling of not being in control of how others perceived me, what they thought of me, um, not being in control of specific outcomes, uh, and not being in control of even how my body was changing. I had no control over that during that time, too. So this is a lot of different changes. And as you mentioned, this age group is experiencing all of these different changes. And just because they're young, it doesn't mean that they're immune to this feeling of us as humans almost wanting to reject change. And so I think this verse that you you talked about in Joshua chapter 1, if we look at the context of this passage, I think there would be a lot of reasons for the Israelites to fear in this situation. Moses, their leader, had just died. Um, their track record of wandering around in the desert for 40 years didn't really bode well for them crossing over into the Jordan River. Um, they had no idea what to expect when they crossed the Jordan River. Uh, Were they going to be attacked? Would the land be fruitful like God had promised? 
would God come through on these promises to give them this land? There were going to be changes, a lot of different changes. There were so many unknowns for them. Um, but there's a big but there. God gave them one of the biggest and the most important promises that he gives us as his people. And that's the fact that he is with us. His presence will be with them. And how amazing is it that the God of the entire universe, the entirety of creation, who is so transcendent and outside of of the earth and sovereign over everything, he decides to actually personally be in relationship with us. He's, as the verse in Zephaniah said, he's living among us. He'll be with us wherever we go. He takes delight in us with gladness. He rejoices over us with joyful songs. He will calm our fears with his love. And so these are some pretty extravagant promises. And and one of the main questions I ask my younger clients who are maybe feeling like the Israelites did is, what does it actually mean for you that God is with you? Like, what does that personally mean for you? I found that opening the discussion up by by talking about God's personal presence often allows them to shift um, their perception about what is causing this anxiety or this fear. Having a God that's personally with them changes their perception of the trouble that they are perceiving that's in front of them. And so... I think it it brings up these questions of what does it mean to you that God chooses to partner with you even during this fear or this anxiety? And as I mentioned before, I think God's personal presence changes things for students that are experiencing all of these different things. Good stuff, Caleb. Kevin and Linda, what are your kind of reflections on hearing those scriptures and just that, that concept of God is with us? Yeah, Zach, we talked in one of the early episodes about that concept of Shiva, right? That complete, uh, pro- that process of completion by which we are with someone. It's what we try to replicate and create and utilize in the therapy office. And what better time in life than pre-adolescence and adolescence to be able to experience this, right? Not just to know in our head that God is with us, but to really feel that sense of God's presence, which only comes through that experience. I I just want to highlight what you said and, and add the word brutal, right? I mean, this, this is a brutal time of life when developmentally we are shifting from the safety and security, hopefully, uh, of what is known within the context of family and, and accomplishing the really important developmental task of detaching from that so that we can begin to explore and establish our own social context outside of the family. Uh, it sort of, you know, it, it literally is those rough waters between what is known and what is known. What is, between what is safe and what is safe is that which is unsafe. Between what is known and, and known is the unknown. And it's brutal. I, I think if I had to circle a bullseye around the most difficult part of my life, the most uh, alone and the most bewildering and the most confusing and frustrating part of my life, it might be fifth grade or something, right? I mean, it's, it's just a really, really tough period of time. So to be able to intervene as caregivers, as uh, professionals, as parents at this point of life, and to make sure that we can promise what can't be otherwise guaranteed at this phase, right? I, I, again, I would love to be able to say to a kid, don't worry, everyone will be nice to you at school. Don't worry, you will make friends. Don't worry, you will fit in. Those are empty promises. We can't make those assurances, but we can, through this ancient text, know that God will be with us in a complete way. And he's even there. He goes there too. 
And I, I would add to that, I know that Kevin mentioned this in the, the first episode, but even within these passages, God doesn't say that there is no reason to fear. I think he knows probably for what the, where the Israelites are, are at in the passage in Joshua that there are a lot of reasons for them <laughs> Why to fear. Why talk about it otherwise, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like there there are reasons for us to fear, but he does say that him being with us in those rough waters just does change things for us. So it's, again, that promise that fear and anxiety will be there, but it's how um, we perceive God being with us in the moment that changes it for us. So we alluded to it just a few minutes ago. This age, middle school, adolescence is hard. It is so, so hard. When you ask adults, the most difficult part of their journey growing up was almost everyone will say middle school. So many things are changing. School gets harder. Your body's changing. Your feelings are changing. You start to think about what am I going to do when I grow up? It goes on and on and on and on. So if there's any age group of people that are susceptible to feeling anxious, it's this one. So we've talked about the brain and how it impacts anxiety or our perception of threats, but how does brain development specifically within adolescence affect anxiety within this age group? Yeah. And so Linda, if you haven't listened to Linda's episode, episode three, go back and listen to that. She does a really good job of talking about the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and how that is um, very, very um, imperative to uh, children's brain development, how they think about things, how they feel things. And so just, just, as an example here, um, have you have for the parents out there of parents who are have middle school age students, um, adolescents, um, have you ever noticed that sometimes your child's thinking and their behavior actually seems quite mature? You see, oh, hey, they did something and they're growing up. This is this is awesome. I can see them maturing right in front of my eyes, and then the next day. The, they seem to have gone all the way back to when they were four or five years old and their thinking is illogical or their behavior is really impulsive or irrational. And you're like, what, what is going on here? And it's because the brain is still developing at this stage. Um, at Specifically adolescence, it's a significant time of growth and development in, inside the brain. Um, the main change that happens within the brain during this time is through this processing part of the child's brain called pruning back like this gray matter. And what this does uh, is it strengthens some connection, but it's actually the brain's way of becoming more efficient. Um, And it's based on the use it or lose it principle. So if they're not using a specific way of thinking, they're going to get that pruned and they're going to, to lose it. And so it begins in the back of the brain, which as we talked about is where the amygdala is. And so it doesn't happen very quickly in the front of the brain, which is where our prefrontal cortex is. And that's res- that's what is what is responsible for your child's ability to plan and think about the consequences of actions to solve problems and control impulses. So we can see that through this developmental stage, there's so many changes going on. And it also makes sense that they are almost constantly operating out of this amygdala. They're not able to use that logical thinking process. And so because because they're using this amygdala to think, to make decisions, solve problems, and they're constantly scanning their horizon for these threats that are around them. This makes this time period with all of the other changes that are going on, it makes this time period within their life incredibly susceptible to developing some anxious symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. Why'd you do what you do? 
I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right. And we get frustrated, even though they're telling us the truth. The truth. Right? Yeah. That's well, the most really honest know. answer yeah. they could get. What were you thinking? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't. Yeah, I, I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, thanks for your honesty. And it's 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 interesting to note, too, that our prefrontal cortex, and I'm sure they might have talked about, doesn't fully develop until early adulthood, mid-20s. And so this is is very, very new for them in terms of even using their prefrontal cortex at this stage in life. And because of what Caleb said, most developmental scientists would agree that that what we actually see is a, is a bit of a regression. Anyone with adolescence at home is nodding their head right now, right? That we actually regress developmentally or appear to regress because of this and, and other things going on in the body and the brain. Before we go too much further, I want to latch on to this concept of development, especially your brain developing at this time. Um, when we, for example, when you're working out, like you push heavier and heavier bars, like you put your body under stress because it makes you grow. So if there's stress everywhere and stress is causing anxiety in these young adults, like are there good types of stress that can make them stronger and more resilient, specifically as their brains are developing at this age? Yeah, that's a great question, Zach, and, and something that I often speak about with my clients. And so th there is a thought out there that not all stress is actually negative. There's actually good stress out there. And so the, the Greek word for the gospel that we see within the New Testament is euangelion, that EU, that Greek prefix EU actually stands for good like good news. So there is this type of stress out there that is EU, U stress, and it's considered to be a positive stress. Um, it's, it's a type of stress where the demands of like a situation can cause physiological changes like within our body, like you just mentioned, like lifting weights, um, or it causes us to think in a new or different way that are actually like positive, um, and they actually allow for higher levels of functioning and for growth. And so this question becomes then is, is stress always negative? Can stress be positive? And so there's distress, which is the negative stress response. It often involves negative effects and physiological reactivity within your body. So like my chest is beating really, really hard. I'm nervous. My throat tightens up. I'm really tense. That would be some, some aspects of distress, right? Um, and it's also a type of stress that can result from being overwhelmed by demands too. So for example, I have had a long workday and Kevin lays um, some more stuff on my desk that I have to get done done by the end of the day. He says, you need this paperwork done by the end of the day. And I do that all the time. He does that all the time. No, he, he never does that. But in that example, that's overwhelming. And like, doesn't, isn't necessarily viewed as this you stress, this good stress. Um, but I think the question that we can ask this age group is when you think of stress, do you automatically think of it as a negative thing? I want to understand what their perception is of this stress that's around them. And so to, to answer the question of whether stress can be positive or negative, I think it depends. I really do. I think it depends a lot on a child's personality, how they view the world, how they view stress. Um, for example, uh, as, a, as a listener who's out there as a parent, one of your children may feed off of and actually be driven by stress. They actually really enjoy going through something really stressful because they see how it grows them and it builds them up. Another child that you have may view any type of stress as being very distressful and very negative, and they don't want any type of stress, right? And so as we have covered from like a biblical standpoint, um, 
we would say that the testing of our, our faith produces perseverance, right? And that some stress can be used as a benefit for us. But I, I do think that we need to be careful here in how we talk about this, because if we, we immediately say this stress is going to benefit you, can't you see that we're saying that to our kids? It can create an environment where they don't feel comfortable sharing how they actually feel within a situation. And so I think as parents, we can begin to, within these moments of determining if stress is negative or positive, I think we really need to discern and use the power of the Holy Spirit to make those decisions. And Caleb, isn't it probably true that people respond differently to different types of stress when you're talking about differences in my children, in children, I can see that in in our own children. Um, But there's probably some people that move towards a physical challenge, but away from an emotional one or vice versa. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For example, um, when when I was in middle school, um, playing sports or being involved on a sports team was not something that caused me stress. I really enjoyed it. There was like a good sense of stress there that I love to be a part of that activity. Now, any anything that was like creative or public speaking or maybe being a, in a play, something like that, similar types of activities, but really affected my stress levels in different ways. And I so I think. At, each kid is going to be different and different types of stress are, or situations are going to cause different types of stress for them. And I would say, I'm sorry, Zach, I, I'm probably the opposite, right? I love to stress my thinking, so to speak, right? How do we develop thought? Well, we challenge it. How do we develop resilience? We see this from other systems within the body as well, right? I also know that the way to build muscle is to stress uh, my muscular system through lifting weights and exercising, I'm resistant to that type of stress. <laughs> I don't, I don't run towards that type of stress. I don't enjoy it. I don't pr- find it particularly fun, but I love to debate. I love to argue. I love to read. I love to learn. I love mental stress. I guess you could say it that way. And so I'm always fascinated by that concept of resilience too, which is another thing that varies. I think it's sort of measured out differently. It's sort of allocated differently among different people like everything else. And so, yeah, I think the extent to which that is comfortable to me or is something that I pursue is, is always going to be different among people, right? And, and we talk about that in terms of my clients who are this middle school age too. We talk about like, what does it look like for you to be resilient in some of these situations? Does that look like you changing your thinking based on this ang- anxious situation that, that it's in? Um, does it look like removing yourself from that, from that situation? Or does it look like coping with it? Like being able to go through this and sitting with this anxiety and managing it in a way that's healthy for you. It, it depends on their levels of resiliency, but we talk about that. Yeah. And it's important to know it's not this is not like a black and white thing. It's not an all or nothing thing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to give an example of my work through my anxiety. It manifests as social anxiety. Yep. So like when I realized that I was socially anxious, my therapist, who was a very good therapist, did not say, well, you're going to get through it by giving a sermon in front of everyone <laughs> in church. Like that would have been terrible. That stress would have destroyed me. But what he did say was maybe like have a board game night with some friends, mm-hmm. like take steps. You don't have to just because something is doesn't mean it always has to be. Like, it's not black and white. Like, you can always grow through these stressors. Absolutely. Progressive exposure, yep. right? I just given my resistance to weightlifting, 
nor should a good doctor say to me, we'll start by trying to lift 500 pounds above your head. That's a really bad idea, right? So yeah, it, it, there is that idea of, of gradually as we are ready pushing us to that point. And there's a, there's a sweet spot there, right? Because that stress will often, if not always feel uncomfortable, but if, if we have determined that it's in our best interest, that it's the kind of stress that causes us to grow versus distress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like how you separated that Caleb, um, which can create difficulty for us, it will likely feel uncomfortable either way. And yet if we've determined that it's good for us, then there's the sweet spot we're looking for where we accept enough stress to challenge us to get better, stronger, smarter, whatever it is, uh, more resilient um, without pushing us past our, our natural limits. Well, and some stress, some people work better under stress, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it's important for adolescents and parents to understand that your child might not be the same as you, mm-hmm. and they work better under stress. And so the night before a project's due or a paper's due, mm-hmm. some kids work better and produce better. Mm-hmm. Where others, yep, that'd be a very stressful situation. Mm-hmm. So if anxiety within this middle school adolescence is so prevalent, What are some practical ways parents can begin to identify and recognize anxiety if it maybe didn't show up when they were younger, but now this child's an adolescent and who boy, this anxiety is coming to the front. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a great question. And I think it starts with both the child and the parent. Um, And Linda touched on this in, in in her episode previously as well as it starts with identifying, right? It starts with recognizing and naming anxiety for what it is. And with that, I think parents especially can begin to have a heart posture that is, and I know that this is a buzzword that's out there now, but that shows empathy, right? But I actually think that this word empathy is um, articulated very well within scripture. And so this, the scripture that I think shows this very well is Hebrews 4, 14 through 15. And it says, so then since we have a high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So when we begin to try and identify or recognize anxiety in our children, I think it's so incredibly important to know that Jesus understands our weaknesses because he too faced some of these weaknesses that we are experiencing, whether that's anxiety, fear, he faced these same exact things. And so as a parent, if we're called to live like Christ, then part of our job with our children is to try and understand and identify and recognize when anxiety is coming up. And so allowing Jesus's empathy that he's shown to us um, to play out with our children can begin to open our eyes to recognizing some of these ways. And some of the practical ways that anxiety shows up within this age group is that it it may make a, an adolescent appear to be cautious or nervous or shy or fearful, um, or it might go the other way by they might express their fears by by crying or throwing a tantrum. Uh, it may be very difficult for them to calm down in certain situations. Um, I classify these as blow-ups or shutdowns, right? They're on two very different scales. And so... Um, a lot of these can practically come up in a lot of different ways. And I'm not saying that every one of these situations is anxiety, but it could be helpful for us to begin to recognize that actually 
this is some anxiety here, and this is what is causing these behavioral outbursts. Um, something that I oftentimes use with my students or my younger clients and can be helpful for parents to start to implement too to identify and recognize anxiety is this thought-feeling-behavior triangle. So a lot of times uh, a situation triggers a thought in my mind. So for example, I had to come here and do this podcast today. So I had a thought of, I'm going to be speaking like to a considerable amount of people. And that thought in my mind triggered a feeling of anxiety. And then my behavior was, oh, do I really want to go? Like I had to question if I wanted to go or not. And so this thought feeling behavior triangle, when we first are able to identify those thoughts that our children are having, so asking those empathizing questions like, what were you thinking? And like, like not what were you thinking, but like, tell me about like some of your thoughts that were going on in your mind. And that can really help parents begin to identify how their children are thinking about their anxiety. Kind of piggybacking off about what we just talked about. I'm going to paint a picture of my childhood when we talk about parents trying to identify what were you thinking? So uh, anxiety is the most prevalent thing that I struggle with. My mother is the same way. She's very cautious. She's very anxious. My father, that man has never been anxious about anything in his life. I've never met someone with more confidence, more anything. And he could never understand why I was feeling the way that I did. And I think part of that is why it took me until I was in my late twenties to figure out what was going on about in me. So when parents say they have no idea what makes their child anxious, it begs the question, what does make young adolescents, middle school students anxious? Yeah, there are um, a number of different areas. Like you mentioned with with your dad, he had no concept of what could be making him anxious because he was just not really an anxious person himself. So he he couldn't understand that. Very similar to, to I think, my, my dad as well, too, is that anxiety just isn't a thing for him. So when I'm on the verge of having a panic attack or my brother is struggling with anxiety, it, it's difficult for him to fully understand what is making us anxious. And so I think it could be helpful to talk about some of these main reasons why children at this age may experience anxieties. So we already talked about this. This this is important for everyone to understand. They're going through many different changes at this point within their bodies. Hormones mm -hmm. are changing. Their brain is developing. They're going through changes at school. Um, there's many different new things that are happening to them within their brain, with their thinking, how others are behaving around them. There's all of these different changes um, that can bring about fear and anxiety. But I usually see three main areas um, of what is causing this, this anxiety. Oftentimes it can be based on their performance. Um, so this was a big one for me personally when I was this age. If I didn't get a good grade or if I didn't do well at a sport, then that um, played into my identity, who I was, and I wasn't good enough. So I was able to identify like my anxiety or my worry trigger as being, I'm not going to be good enough based on my performance took me a long time to realize that, uh, many, many years to realize that that was going on. But a lot of children at this age do struggle with fearing about how they're going to do, uh, whether it's in school, sports, after school activities. So performance is a big one that, that might cause some anxiety. How they're being perceived is huge. I see this with with my, my clients all the time. One of the biggest issues that they struggle with is 
um, identity issues. They, they don't necessarily have an identity and they're grasping for anything that's going to tell them that this is who I am, this is where I fit in, um, this is how I can make friends, right? And so they they almost have this hypervigilance of like, they're constantly thinking about how people are thinking about them. And that's like what is on their mind all of the time. And that can bring about anxiety. I'll give an example. I'm new. Um, it's the first day of school, right? Um, I'm going from sixth to seventh grade, just my first day back. Um, I don't really have a lunch table that I'm sitting with, right? I'm um, in seventh grade. I walk up to this lunch table. Um, think back to when you were in seventh grade. What are some of your thoughts you're thinking there? Honestly, what are some of your thoughts? Yeah. So and I want to highlight what you're asking yeah. there, not only just the perception, but the perception of the perception, yeah, right? Exactly. Which the gets fear into like of it. A, yeah, the fear of it. Exactly. Yeah. There are fears. You're walking of, in that room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Of, of the room itself, but mm-hmm. also of what I believe must be true, mm-hmm. right? So to answer your question, um, you know, maybe it's something like, I don't fit in here. I don't belong. Mm-hmm. Nobody will want me. I'm too fill in the blank, right? I'm too weird. I'm too this. I'm too that. I'm too quiet. I'm too loud. I'm mm-hmm. too whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm the right? only one that I'm, won't have no, someone yeah. to sit with. Yeah. yeah, yeah that isolation. Or even what these what ifs start coming in. What if I say something that's embarrassing? What if I do this? And there's all of these different thoughts that come into these situations. And so um, that usually is is triggered. It can be, be um, I guess it can be looked back to like a a trigger that can be identified within them. Like I said, my trigger was I'm not good enough. So that is what was the deep underlying trigger for me. So a lot of what parents can do, um, they can try and help their 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 students find out what that underlying trigger is. Isn't it identity thing or is it simply like, I'm just not going to have any friends, which makes me feel like a loner and that makes me alone. Is that the trigger? So, and that takes a long time. That is a long process. It's taken me personally many years to understand that. Um, But you can begin to do that as you begin to think and try and understand what your student is going through. Can I just illuminate, Caleb, the layers that you talked about that for everybody listening? Because that that was really good and that was a lot. And I want to make sure people hear the layers you were talking about, right? With your example of walking into the cafeteria, there's a sort of obvious, almost universal one, Mm -hmm. right? Anybody there, their heart rate goes up a little bit Mm -hmm. listening to this. Almost anyone is going to have a little... Uh, a little response to hearing that yeah. because universally there's this idea that that situation, that environment is, is anxiety provoking in and of itself. Then when you were talking about your performance stuff, you, you said the first time through, I don't even know if you noticed that you said this, but the first time through you said um, something like, what if I mess up? Mm-hmm. Right. Which is, which is a little bit deeper fear. It's more of an internal struggle, yeah. but off the cuff, what you said more recently than that, when you circled back to it, was I'm not good enough. Ooh, anybody, like, you feel the weight of that as we get down to the deeper layer of that. And so many of us, all of us, are walking around with these deep, deep, deep thoughts, beliefs, perceptions, these schemas, sort of that structure of the way we make sense of our experience. Um, and, it, and it shapes how that's going to be different for you than for me, than for Zach, than for Linda walking into maybe the same situation. And maybe if universally there's some level there, we're all going to perceive that just a little bit differently. And again, in this age group, when that prefrontal cortex is just waking up and we're just trying it on, right? Like any new, mm-hmm. like any new skill or a little clunky with it at first, we don't have that ability to do what you just did there mm-hmm. and say, well, I walk into that cafeteria thinking, oh, oh no, I'm not good enough. What if everyone realizes I'm not good enough? Mm-hmm. We're just thinking, this is awful. How do I get out of it? Right. 
I want to ask a really important question to the experts sitting here around this table. We're unpacking these scenarios. And like you just mentioned earlier, Kevin, everyone's going to feel a little hint of, oh, I'm uncomfortable here. Yeah, probably. How do we know the difference between something that is clinical anxiety and something that's just normal human, I'm uncomfortable? Like, what is the difference between that? Yeah, I I think I'll refer back to what Linda said in the was it in the previous Linda uh, the previous episode Linda when you said um something about when the behavior itself becomes disruptive. Yeah. Crippling. Right? Yeah, crippling I think was the word that you used, right? And this is really when you look at mental health diagnoses um like actually many mental health or like many even medical diagnoses, it's really best understood along a spectrum. Right. I use as a as an alternative example pregnancy. Yeah, you are or you're not, right? For the most part. There's some really strange, rare exceptions, but for the most part, that's binary, right? Most other diagnoses that are made and nearly all diagnoses within mental health are really best understood along a spectrum, right? So anxiety is probably one of the clearest examples. Everyone experiences it. I'm going to jump in and circle back to your dad as another potential theory using that posture of curiosity we talked about. Maybe he didn't experience anxiety. Maybe he didn't know what that was like, or maybe he just wasn't in touch and and even understand Mm -hmm. what anxiety even looked like with him. And he couldn't have identified it as that. Right. So Mr. Zach's dad, I'm not picking on you. Right. But, uh, (laughs) uh, but for any of us, I, I, I just think there's that awareness piece. That's, that's so interesting. And then is it impairing my life? right? Is it, is it crippling? Is it changing the way that I show up in the world? Is it uh, limiting my capacity? Is it changing um, my ability to experience normal things throughout life? I, I think almost always, if you look across the, the DSM for the, the um, manual of diagnosis for mental health, um, and in many medical diagnoses as well, we begin to call it a quote unquote disorder when it disorders our life when it when it creates some sort of impairment on our normal functioning so when you asked earlier um as well about like as parents and caregivers what should we look for in our kids is is my child acting like themselves right and as a parent we'll we'll know that Mm well even at a gut level we may have that sense of something's just not right i may not be able to put my finger on it i may not be able to articulate it describe it diagnose it but i do know because i'm the parent that something's off yeah or when we're seeing some sort of performance measure like school, sports, uh, music, right? The, the kind of thing that you know your child is capable of doing and for a period of time they're not achieving at that level. It is possible that there's something that needs to be looked at. And as we do, one of the things we might be looking for is anxiety. Yeah. So, Caleb, we've talked about what might be making young, young adolescents anxious and some practical ways that parents can begin to identify that. But what's next? How do we help these kids? Yeah, and um, I think from episode three, we looked at Philippians 4, verse 4 through 8. And this, uh, there is a very, very helpful book that I read when I was a younger adolescent that was incredibly helpful for my anxiety journey is um, um, by Max Lucado called Anxious for Nothing. And he uses an acronym from this verse, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8, and it stands for CALM. And so I think parents can begin to walk their kids from from a spiritual standpoint, walk these kids through this acronym. So we see in the verse, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So anybody know what the, the C stands for? When we rejoice, we are celebrating. Yeah, that's a tough one, but it's celebrating. We're celebrating. So even in anxiety, when we don't have much that we feel like we can celebrate, even just 
practicing gratitude is an incredibly beneficial gift. I do this with clients. They might be super highly dysregulated in a moment. And I say, let's take a moment to, to just quiet ourselves and tell me, tell me just three really small things that have happened through your day that are positive, that you view as positive. And it begins to change their perspective a little bit about their current situation. So celebrating God's goodness is the first one. And then um, we see, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So that A in calm stands for ask. Uh, we serve a God who listens to us. He is standing at the door um, knocking, right? He answers that door. And so we get to ask him. We get to bring our concerns to him. And for children this age, this can be when they feel like no one is concerned for them, when they feel like no one hears them or understands them, they get to ask a God who does care about them and understand them. They get to ask him to help. What an amazing gift that they can do that. And then we see the L here. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. And so that uh, L stands for leave. We get to leave some of those concerns because of what, and this is such such an important thing for, for kids this age to understand, that because of Jesus's atoning work on the cross, he, he, he bore their anxiety. In that moment, they don't need to hold on to it. They can actually give that over to him because of his death and his resurrection. And then when I fully understood this, it felt like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders. It doesn't mean that I don't have uh, any more anxiety. It doesn't mean that uh, I'm free from ever feeling any type of fear. But it does mean that within these moments, I get to leave that anxiety with him. And then in this last part, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so that M in the calm stands for meditate. One of the coolest things that I get to do with some students um, at, at, who are my clients is this practice of Lectio Divina. Um, and that is basically just means divine scripture meditation. And if you've never done this before, I, I encourage you to go out and Google it and to just sit down and meditate on a small passage passage of God's word. I usually use Psalm 23 with some of my students, and it's just this wonderful representation of how Jesus is their shepherd. Like he cares about them as a sheep. We talk about how sheep are not the smartest of animals, right? We're not the smartest of, of animals a lot of time, but yet even in those moments, Jesus being the good shepherd that he is, is with them and cares for them. And so just by going through that, that calm with your child in those moments, just going through those different steps with them could be something that's incredibly beneficial. I would also add that seeking out counseling. I know Linda talked about this, seeking out a professional if it is that anxiety 
anxiety is becoming too distressful and is causing um, too much distress within their life, um, seek out some professional help. Um, I know that's oftentimes the most difficult step. It was the most difficult step for me, but if I did not make that decision, I would not be here right now. And so there are things that can change when you humble yourself and ask for some help. And so if you're feeling that urge right now, listening to this, pick up the phone, call someone, ask for some help, um, that, that there is help out there for your children, for yourself. And so that would be what I would say. Yeah. Good stuff. This is such a deep and rich conversation. That's why we spread it out over two episodes. Uh, So again, if somehow you've made it to this part of this episode and you haven't listened to episode three before it, please go back and listen to the first part of this, of this discussion. And as we kind of tie a bow on this anxiety in young students, I want to ask you, Linda and you, Caleb, what is something practical that a parent listening can put in their toolbox right now to use with their child that might be experiencing anxiety? Well, the tool for their toolbox is for adults, for five-year-olds all the way through. I mean, there's three things that come to mind. Um, When the amygdala is triggered and it is a barking dog, we need to calm it with breathing techniques. So number one, helping your child and yourself find some breathing techniques to slow down the whole thought process, the whole amygdala. The second part is when we're in a big emotion, we're feeling tension throughout our body and we need to relax that part of the body. So looking up different um, relaxation techniques. Um, And the third thing is self-talk. Caleb talked a lot about what kids are saying when they walk in that cafeteria. Well, they keep saying that same thought over and over and over and it's just bringing them down, helping kids come up with self with um, positive self-talk to help build them up and walk through those rough waters. So as we wrap up our time today, we want to do uh, some listener Q&A. You can submit any questions you'd like us to discuss on our website totally anonymously. Just head to wcsg.org, search for podcasts, click on Through Rough Waters. You'll see the link to submit that question right there. Uh, you can also submit your questions through email if you'd rather do it that way, through roughwaters at wcsg.org. Today's question, what are some good spiritual techniques or disciplines that can be helpful for children and young adolescents themselves who are struggling with anxiety. We've talked a lot about how can parents help your kids. Mm -hmm. Like, let's talk to the kids right now. What is something these kids can do when they're feeling anxious? Yeah, absolutely. From a a spiritual discipline standpoint, this can be as simple as just in that moment of feeling anxiety of repeating the phrase, God is with me. I know we've talked about that a lot, um, but how often in those anxiety moments where your amygdala is firing and it there seems like there's threats all around us, do we take a deep breath and do we say, God, you are with me? Um, I think that's very profound, actually, and can be really incredibly beneficial. So just inviting God for... So Kids who are in those moments that that are feeling that anxiety, just inviting God into those moments with them. I think sometimes their anxiety comes too from conversations they had with their parents and their parents don't understand. And I think it's important that we really understand that God is our father. God is another parent in our life. And to understand that through prayer, we can he can be there for us and we can feel that warmth. Gold star answers, right? I, I love it, and and it's. But I, for the listener hearing it as a gold star answer, it can be really difficult not to just 
uh, hear just that, right? Of course, the right answer is prayer. But there are so many incredible things happening at so many layers when we pray. And I think they've been acknowledged here today. Um, both Linda and Caleb talked about something I refer to as a, as a mantra, right? Just repeating something over and over. And so for that one, God is with me, uh, right? Especially if the mantra that is happening inside my brain that I'm not even aware is happening is something like I'm all alone, as we talked about in the very beginning. There's something profoundly powerful that can happen when we do something as incredibly simple as just saying the opposite over and over and over, right? There's this transcendent thing. Of course, it's the right answer to pray, uh, but it's the right answer because so many unbelievable things are happening, some of which we understand at a neurochemical level, some of which we understand at a spiritual discipline level, some of which we might not even fully understand. Um, but I just I just say that to emphasize both those answers, and uh, I'll throw my chip in and get the star as well. Thank you so much for joining us for episode four of Through Rough Waters. Our next episode, we'll continue this conversation about anxiety, aging it up once again. We'll talk about some uh, high schoolers and young adulthood and what anxiety looks like uh, in that age group. We would love for you to join us in two weeks. I uh, want to say a huge thank you to West Michigan Wellness Group for supporting this episode and the whole podcast in general. Kevin, as the, the lead therapist and ambassador of West Michigan Wellness Group, say someone's listening to this and they decide, I need to go to therapy how do they get in touch with you guys? Please do another really good right answer, right? <laughs> uh, but we would be honored to walk with, with anyone uh, experiencing this or any other issue that we can help with. As we often quite simply say, we are happy to help and we really, really are. So please reach out um, in any way that works best for you. We try to make that as easy as possible. Probably the easiest way to find us is online at our website, westmichiganwellnessgroup.com. You can always just call us directly on the phone at 616 87 that's 611187 I want to say a big thank you to Kevin and Linda and Caleb for joining us Caleb would you uh, wrap up this episode in prayer for us Yeah absolutely Zach Father we just thank you so much for who you are we thank you for facilitating this conversation we thank you for this time that we're able to spend um, talking about this issue of anxiety um, Father you say that there will be times of trouble there will be trials. There will be times where fear would be a normal response for us. But you also give us that promise that you will be with us. And that changes things, Father. And we thank you that you care about your children enough to, to be with them even in these difficult moments. And Father, I sp specifically pray over any middle school student, any young adolescent who is listening to this or parents of, of those children that are listening right now, Father, I just pray that you would protect their minds, that you would protect their hearts, that you would protect their spirits and their bodies, Father. There's so many changes that they're experiencing, but we also know that, that you are the author of all change. You are sovereign and you are good and you are with us during those moments. And so we thank you for that. Um, yeah, pray a blessing over um, everyone who is listening and for everyone who is here that was involved with the podcast. And we ask these things in your name, we pray. Amen. Amen.